are listening to Hammerlock Hangover. Tonight's special guest is Michael Kingston, the creator and designer of Headlocked Comics. Mike, thank you very much for joining us. This is sort of like a cross-production between Hammerlock Hangover and the Wrestling Soup Network. And depending on where things go, my other podcast, Garden of Doom, which is not wrestling at all. Uh, both of my shows are on the Wrestling Soup Network, so you know, nobody's competing with anyone. I'm certainly not competing with myself. Um, so uh, thank you very much for agreeing to do this. Um, how are you doing tonight? I'm, uh, I'm doing good. I'm uh, a little fried. I, uh, this is my, I did four weeks on the road, and I've been doing uh, you know just Kickstarter stuff nonstop. It's very uh, draining endeavor. It's like the best and the worst thing I've ever done all at once. So. <laughs> well, it's not your first time doing it. I, I did a little research on you, and, and I know that you've been involved in the Kickstarter universe before. Well, this is our seventh. Um, I have gained uh, I gained at least ten pounds in stress weight every time. So <laughs> it's uh, you just you always want it to be the best it can be, and uh, there's always different challenges because social media. Every time you you start, social media is so different. Like this is the first post Elon Musk one that I've done, and. Uh, my, I mean, my Twitter engagement is, uh, I would say, probably about 15% of what it used to be. So, Oh, really? It is. Uh, yeah, it's tough. It is definitely tough. Um, I wasn't normally going to start here, but what do you think happened? What, like, how, does, how do you lose 85% of your Twitter engagement uh, just because of the change of ownership? Um, like, what do, you, what do you attribute that to? It's happened, like progressively across everything um you know they want you to buy ads they want you to spend money um i don't necessarily think i trust twitter with my financial information um i mean i buy facebook ads and stuff like that but i didn't i mean back when i first did my first kickstarter you could just post on facebook and somebody would you know like somebody would back it like it was it was so easy and then they started throttling back words associated with crowdfunding you know, Kickstarter, backers, campaign, uh, tiers, uh, any of that stuff, they would uh, throttle very, very heavily. And, uh, you know, so it's tricky. Um, it's, so it's, it's Elon's efforts to turn his $44 million, billion dollar investment in a $15 billion company into something that might break even. Right. I don't, I don't, uh, I don't know. I mean, I see, a, I mean, there's a mass exodus. You know, I think like the people that are left are like the people that sort of, you know, have too much invested to leave. But I mean, across comics, like a ton of comics people have left. Um, but I noticed like, you know, when you run a Kickstarter, like it'll show you where people come from. So like people are clicking through on Twitter links is probably, I'm probably down, uh, I'd say about $5,000 uh, from my last campaign. So it's tough um and that's it's but there's always something to there's there's always a new challenge there's always something you have to deal with like for a while i figured out in facebook as long as you posted the link in the comments and you didn't post it in your uh in your thread that it wouldn't hit you as bad but i feel like they figured that out too and now you you have to find somebody else to post the link in your comment than anything um it, it used to be twitter um but right now, Facebook is has uh, done real well for me. So okay, cool. I feel like we should rewind just a bit, and we should probably say, 
Mike Kingston. Tell us who you are and a little bit about yourself. <laughs> My name is Mike Kingston. I'm the writer and creator of Headlock Comics, and uh, I uh, I make comics uh, about wrestling. I make comics with wrestlers, um, completely DIY. Um, I don't exist in comics per se. Like I don't sell my books in comic stores. I've been doing it for 15 years and uh, it's sort of a, just a labor of love and passion and whatever. Um, and uh, I guess that's the, the short of it, I suppose. Well, I saw you're from Clifton park, which <laughs> means you're probably a Buffalo bills fan. No, actually. So I'm a, I'm a Washington fan. Uh, I, uh, so I played football right up through college and I was a center. And when I was a kid, like Washington had the hogs and that was the only team that sort of celebrated offensive line play. So that, that became my team um, recently freed from the nightmare that is Dan Snyder. So. <laughs> okay. You know, you never switched to the Ravens. I mean, come on. We thought our first pick was Jonathan Ogden. No, I mean, the, I, I respect the Ravens very much as a football team. I respect uh even the even the Giants, you know. I mean, you can't respect Dallas, but you know. No, no, of course not. I, I just I just want to use my only football sort of snide remark that Buffalo is in fact the only New York based football team. <laughs> that is true. That is true. All right. So I saw that you were you know, I think the comic book may have started sort of autobiographical. Um and that you had a you had a, a stint in professional wrestling? No, no. That, lifelong fan. Um, I was a lifelong wrestling fan, lifelong lifelong comic book fan, and I felt like uh, everybody just made shitty wrestling comics. And I just everybody I knew who liked comics liked wrestling, and vice versa. And I just always felt like they were never going to make a wrestling comic for wrestling fans. Um, you know, they would do like licensed stuff when WWE got hot, the Undertaker fighting demons and that kind of stuff. And uh, it just, you can tell as a fan of anything when something's been made for love or something's been made for money, right? Like the, the, the best example I can use in comics is Deadpool. They made that Deadpool in the Wolverine Origins movie that didn't have a mouth. And, you know, it was played by Ryan Reynolds, but I mean, everybody hated it because it wasn't Deadpool. Ryan Reynolds obviously had a deep affinity for the character and went back and did it right. And everybody loves it, you know, mm -hmm. but uh, so I just wanted to make my own book and comics kind of is always sort of up its own ass for lack of a better term. And I pitched headlock to everybody and got laughed at um, some of the largest publishers in comics literally laughed in my face. Uh, people said, you know, do wrestling fans read um, a store <laughs> in my own town said that nobody would ever uh, nobody would ever read this. Um, and I knew, I don't know. I just always kind of believed that they were wrong. So I made the book myself. I started selling out on my backpack at wrestling shows. Um, and then uh, I just grew it from there. Um, you know, I, I probably hands, I hand sold every issue for years. Um, and, uh, what began to happen is I would meet wrestlers at the conventions that were there as fans, you know, the hardcore comics guys like uh, Shane Helms or Rob Van Dam, Christopher Daniels, Samoa Joe, whatever. And they would buy the books from me and then tell me how much they liked them. And so from there, I was able to get Jerry, the King Lawler to paint covers for my books. Um, and then that sort of 
helped out, but we were still sort of in this distribution issue. Um, and then Kickstarter became a thing. And then Kickstarter is what changed our fortunes. Um, in 2013, we did our first one into 2014. And uh, we just uh, Is this a way or, or, or do you actually have a team? Uh, it's, I mean, I have a team, obviously. I do everything that's not art-related. Because um, I say we all the time or us when I'm talking about the podcast, and it's, and it's just me. <laughs> sure. I mean, it's mostly me, obviously, but, I mean, comics is a visual business, so, I mean, nothing exists without without the artists. So, I mean, I work with a bunch of artists, but, I mean, in terms of writing, traveling, promoting, or whatever, that's, that's 99% me. Um, so... But, uh, yeah, so Kickstarter helps, you know, it's, it's basically like a pre-order for independence mm-hmm. and we can ideally get enough people to pre-order it so we can fund the production of it. Uh, cause comics are expensive. You know, there's a, there's an artist who that's his whole job is to draw. So he needs to make like a living wage and there's a letterer and a colorist and, you know, it's just it's, you know, you can obviously the, the young bucks make being the elite on their phones for free and upload it for free. It doesn't cost them anything, you know, it costs me, you know, several hundred dollars a page, you know, 150 to $180 a page for every page of comic book art we do. Um, and that's before we print it. That's just the art costs. So they're expensive. Um, so this is, this helps us sell enough books to, fund the production of the next one and what we are funding right now is tales from the road volume three how do you get jerry the king lawler to paint covers for you i mean is is it just that he loves it and he wants to do it and show off his art most rest fans know he's actually a really really talented artist um do you have to i mean do you have to hire him i mean is it you know combination how's that work out so uh I sent Jerry a cold email through his website. Uh, it was such a, such a lark. Like I forgot I did it after I did it. Um, like it was just like one o'clock in the morning one night. I was like, you know what? Ah, F it. I'm going to send an email to Jerry the King Waller and see if he'll do a cover for my book. And so I sent him an email and forgot about it. And then maybe like a week and a half later, I got an email back. And in my mind at this point, it's like a webmaster or something that's not actually Jerry Lawler that I'm dealing with. Right. Send me an address and said, here, mail me some books and I'll take a look. at." It. So I put them in the mail and then like a week later, he called me up. And obviously, if there was a way that I felt like you could fake his voice, then I wouldn't have believed it. But obviously, he's got a very distinctive voice. And uh, you know, we had like a week conversation for like an hour and uh, he did a cover for me. And then uh, we started... Uh, and he started doing more of them. And then we started doing conventions together. And uh, he's done all the covers to my trades. Um, I think he's done like seven, eight, nine covers in total, maybe. Seven covers, eight covers. Has and, he ever uh, called you a JR while he's sitting next to you? No, not at all. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, now he's, I mean, he's, you know, now he's like one of my best friends, um, which is the craziest thing in the world to, to think about. Um, but I literally just talked to him on the phone yesterday. Um, That's great. We'll say hello uh, from us. I will let him know. But <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's uh, so he's super cool. And I mean, he's never taken a dime from me for the art. Like he won't, uh, you know, so I have to find ways to 
you know, pay for dinner when he's not looking and stuff like that. And, you know, I find, I try to find cool stuff to send him, you know, whatever. But I mean, he's just, he's like such a big art nerd. And, uh, he, uh, you know, I've been to more art museums with Jerry than any other person, uh, on the planet. So, okay. Which art museums? Uh, we've been to a bunch of them. Um, if you look at impressionists, as you look at, you know, the French masters, I think he's, I think he ideally sort of like, obviously he's a huge Rockwell fan. So we've been to the Rockwell museum a bunch of times. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think he likes things that are more, uh, more realistic that tell, mm -hmm. you know, that tell stories, more graphic art. Cause obviously he's a, an enormous comic book fan too. So, so that's, uh, there's a, there's a museum in Stockton that has the largest collection of JC Lyonbecker art. And uh, he would hit the post before Rockwell. And uh, we went there for a convention for uh, Stockton Con. And they let us go to the museum like after hours and just let us walk around. And they pulled out all these sketches and stuff. And like just an experience that you wouldn't get anywhere else. And it was so cool. And, you know, it's just fun to watch him because he gets he gets excited. He's a, he's a big art nerd. And uh, I think it's the coolest thing because it's not a thing that people expect about him. He's doing all right. Um, I think he misses being on the road. Um, he showed up at the Memphis Comic Con this weekend and took some pictures with some people and stuff. Um, oh, that's great. I don't think he's at a point where he can do autographs yet, but uh, he gets better every day. You know, I think I, I think he would uh, like to be traveling again. I think it's the only thing he's ever really kind of known as an adult, and he uh, I think he misses that more than anything else. Very good. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, it's. it's uh, I used to do a lot of business travel and as much as you complain about it, it, it is sort of its own little sort of fun adventure, sort of life on the road kind of thing. Mm -hmm. I actually saw a recent picture of him and I don't want to spend too much time on, you know, on, on Jerry, but he actually looked well. Um, mm -hmm. And I think the natural coloring in, in his goatee, I, I, I think, you know, that it actually de-aged him some. Yeah, man, I could see that. Um, looking, looking more natural. Yeah. Um, I have a question for you. Which, which came first? The wrestling fandom or the comic fandom? Because, I mean, nothing comes at the same time. I'd say I was a comic book fan first just because I had them when I was real, real little. Um, wrestling, I think, started when I was about eight years old. I, I saw the – I'm aging myself a little bit here, but the, the very first Saturday Night's Main event um, was uh, – and I had just turned on the channel at late at night. I've always been like a night owl, and there was uh, – George Steele and the Iron Sheik and Nikolai Volkov against Barry Windham, Mike Rotunda, and uh, Ricky Steamboat. Okay. And I, I saw Muhammad Ali and Antonio Inoki on <laughs> ABC's Wide World of Sports. So so uh, yeah. I'm like 20 years older than you. So we're going we're, we're gonna to stop on the you feeling bad about your age. Kind of thing. Um, <laughs> and George yeah. Daniel Steele transfixed me. Like I'd never seen anything like that. And <laughs> I have probably watched wrestling every day of my life in uh, – some form or fashion sense. It's always something strange like that. The, the, the first match I remember watching, besides the celebrity ones um, on Wide World of Sports, was Don Morocco. And I was absolutely transfixed by the, the vascularity in his left arm. It was mm. like the strangest thing I had ever seen. It was like, I'm like, how does that even happen? Of course, now I know how it happens. But <laughs> I was a comic guy before that. I'm like, what is this? And like, I, I I was a Dom. I, I must have been the only person I knew that was actually for Don Morocco instead of Jimmy Snuka. Um, <laughs> and, and Superfly Snuka was a household name back in 80, 81. Oh, yeah, for sure. 
Yeah, I mean, people probably still know Superfly Snuka. I mean, you know, he's probably more famous than 98% of the active wrestlers uh, right now. But I was a comics guy first also. I mean, I remember trading comics. I remember one summer I started with 14 comics. I ended up with 41, and I thought I was really good at this thing. With, you know, yeah. Um, but X-Men was probably my first love. Um, which Same. Was, Really? Okay, excellent. Um, was it what was your ear with X-Men? Mine was pre-Phoenix, pre-Hellfire Club. We were just get, I think the first one I bought was Kazar in the Savage Land, and there was Sauron, the the, the mind reading, mind controlling giant uh Tarantodon <laughs> in there. So the thing that got me into comics was when Spider-Man got the new suit in Secret Wars. Mm-hmm. I remember seeing the news stories about it and I was in like a Walden's books or something and I saw it on a spinner rack and I was like, oh, I want to get this. So then I got it and then I had to get the other issues. And then I was sort of familiar with, you know, that sort of got me familiar with the Marvel Universe in general. And I was like, wow, these X-Men are pretty cool. And then I, I want to say it was one in the 180s, maybe 183, 185, where I started buying them just monthly and then i went back and um you know collected a lot of stuff but uh yeah for a long time x-men was really the only thing that i was reading like that was what got me into it all right well since you're a wrestling guy and a and a comic book guy like myself john silver and puck same person right oh 100 okay good because nobody gets that reference all right so when you, I mean, this is obviously, like you said, a labor of love. What, like, what was the origin of the story? I mean, basically, you're you're the booker here, but you're also doing the background character work. I mean, you're everything. So, like, what was the basis of the story? And, like, once it starts, you know, have, have you had to deal with, like, you know, uh, uh, paralyzing writer's block? Or is it one thing that it sort of just, it just, it just keeps going? It's like the story almost writes itself. So I started with Headlocked, and Headlocked itself is uh, an HBO-style drama about a theater major who falls in love with wrestling, and he drops out of college to sort of chase his dream of becoming a wrestler, and it's sort of the girl gets off the bus in Hollywood kind of story. Um, you're sort of learning the, the craft of wrestling through the eyes of a performance artist. Um, I wanted to make it interesting and accessible to anybody. Like, you didn't have to know anything about wrestling other than it's, you know, oiled up perilous men pretending to hit each other and you know as long as you know that you can enjoy the story um but i don't want to get it steeped into too much sort of lore to make it uh insurmountable for people so i figured by starting with a character who's a blank slate and you can sort of follow him you know as he learns the as he learns the business um you can sort of understand a little bit about or more about it because i mean for a long time wrestling was very polarizing you know what i mean like people had no matter what people had a strong opinion about it. And I always kind of felt as a fan, it was somewhat unfair that people weren't giving it a chance. You know, because ah, it's fake and fake such a dumb word because it's not fake. It's obviously predetermined, but it's not fake. And it's substantially less fake than most of the movies that people watch. So I always sort of wanted to, you know, see if I could tell an entertaining enough story to get people to check it out, sort of hide the medicine and the food. You know, where the, you know, and I've had a lot of people who I've talked into buying the series over the years who are like, oh, I never really thought about wrestling the way that you describe it. 
Um, so that's that was the story of Headlocked, and then that sort of progressed. We've done four trades of that, and we're working on Volume 5. And then as the wrestlers who liked the book, uh, you know, wanted to do stuff, so then we conceived Tales from the Road, which are short fictional stories that I co-create with different wrestlers that are sort of set in the headlocked universe, but they're not related. Like it's, they're all standalone stories and we kind of just, we kind of tell whatever we want to tell. Some of them are adapted from real life experiences. Uh, I did a story with Gangrel about a guy that trains Bigfoot to wrestle. Um, you know, <laughs> so we kind of, we kind of hit every kind of genre, uh, that, that you can think of. And I've collaborated with like 40 different wrestlers at this point on these stories and uh and that's been super cool because i just wanted to make a cool wrestling comic and now like i'm jamming with you know cody rhodes on a headlock story and that's cool you know that is cool um in your books is is it part of the plot that wrestling is in fact predetermined or, or do you make it like it's real real not predetermined in the, in the story or you or you going with the predetermined and the politics and the booking and and if somebody has to deal with not getting the title for the betterment of the company i mean how how many layers deep are you going i mean no it's it's 100 percent. you know it's a performance art and he's learning the art while navigating the underbelly of the business and it's i mean right now he hasn't had i mean we're four volumes in and he hasn't had his first match yet so i mean it's from the beginning um so it's you know putting up the ring and that kind of stuff. And it's all, so it's, it's structured almost like a television show where in like every episode, every issue, he learns something about wrestling. It's also sort of tied into his sort of growth, becoming a man. So it's a coming of age story ultimately. Um, and then, uh, you know, so the things that he learns in his, you know, are helping him sort of grow as a, as a person. I've, I've always been fascinated how people, become who they become, right? Like you meet millions of people or whatever throughout your life. And why aren't we all mother Teresa, you know, for lack of a better person, you know, what I mean? why doesn't everybody do the right thing? Why it is, you know, how, how come some people are bad influences and how come you, you listen to those bad influences. So, I mean, he's starting as he was this person and now he's going to become something else. So he's building his own identity from scratch. And then, he meets all these people and it's kind of the wild west. So how does he form the identity that he forms? And then at the same time, like he's learning the craft of wrestling and has to develop a wrestling persona at the same time. Um, and it's all just sort of wrapped up in the, in the sort of backstage bullshit of, you know, or things that go on in wrestling and people training and following a dream and that kind of stuff. This is a temporal reference, but I imagine this will air pretty soon anyway um but i i watch the wrestlers just like a lot of people that are wrestlers know the on netflix and the whole time you were just talking the last five or six minutes i was just thinking wow al snow seems like somebody who would be into comics and ovw and and that show seems like almost what you're what you're writing about or close enough and it looks like they're looking for partners and may want and may want to uh you know uh, uh build upon the momentum they're hoping to achieve from this show airing. I'm sure they want other seasons, but you know, Netflix are seven episodes and this, that, and the other thing. Um, listen, I have a lot of suggestions for a lot of people and, and most of them are unwelcome and this might fit into that, but I, but I, 
I feel like I feel like this this seems like it might be something that's interesting to you. I mean, let's not speak for Al Snow or the owners of OVW. I mean, I know Al. Al knows my books. I mean, he's familiar with me. All right, all right. He wears he wears headlock shirts in public all the time. So oh, super cool, it's very cool. All right, well, to, to I had a little thing with The Rock at one point uh, for for Headlock itself. Uh, we had a little Twitter interaction, and uh, his people sent me a thing looking for some information. And uh, it was right when uh, it was right when Jumanji came out, uh-huh. and uh, he sort of transitioned away from what he was into like Disney superhero. And they basically said, you know, this uh, this doesn't really fit our branding anymore. You know, five years ago, this is probably something that we might have taken a stab at, but you know, they wouldn't do ballers if it came to him now. You know what I mean? Like he's just not that guy anymore. So I kind of missed my window with him, but you know, there's always hope. Um, there's always new windows. I mean, with, sure. with DC stopping and Black Adam stopping, and you know, maybe if you can tie the XFL, XFL into it, who knows? <laughs> who, who, who knows? Maybe he still needs to scratch that itch. If you just tell him the Black Adam will beat up Superman every seven episodes, you know, <laughs> who knows? Right, um, right. I mean, you can't use Black Adam and Superman, obviously, for but, sure. But uh, I don't know, power dude. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, um, I mean, clearly you must be artistically talented did you did you take lessons or anything like that did you did your folks take you to the the comic book publishers and they spent some time with you at most at least my mom took me to marvel comics and they spent it's it, it seems like it was an afternoon it was probably like an hour and a half but but they took the time and they i mean did anything like that happen to like you know feed your passion i uh i am completely self-taught i have a biochemistry degree from hamilton college <laughs> and i manage a fleet of truck drivers so no. I've, I've been in blue blue collar management for about 20 years, but everything that I know I've taught myself, um, you know, I've, I've learned every, you know, I've made every conceivable mistake you could imagine. Um, but ultimately it's one of those things. Like when I started, all I wanted to do was get a publisher and mm-hmm. I felt like that's what I needed more than anything else. And I was so mad that everybody that said no to me and that laughed at me and whatever. But as it turns out, I, it, the best thing for me was for me to build my own thing and to do it outside of comics because I mean, I've, I've been doing it for 15 years. Uh, I've made seven trades. I've made more wrestling comics than anybody, I believe. And I feel like, you know, I don't think that would have happened had I had to answer to somebody. Um, and that's, you know, and I'm also like, I have friends that work for Marvel and DC and I can tell you that I'm, much more fulfilled than anybody. I make the shit I want to make, how I want to make it, when I want to make it, with who I want to make it, and I don't have to answer to anybody. And that's, you know, and that's been great. And it's it's worked for me. Well, you've had the John Cena never give up mantra instilled in these, which is great. Um, but as a biochemistry major, I can tell you didn't make every mistake possible because you haven't experimented on yourself to get your, give yourself superpowers, have you? <laughs> God, no. It's funny now, you know what I mean? Like I've, I've been out of college long enough that, I mean, I probably couldn't pass an intro to chemistry test, but you know what I mean? Like when you tell people you have a biochemistry major, like it carries a certain weight, you know, when you hear it, like, oh, wow, look at that guy. But like, yes. I don't know, you know, I probably couldn't do anything now, you know? Okay. So you can't make a radioactive spider or anything like that. <laughs> no, certainly a- not. That's a shame. I, I mean, you know, the super soldier serum, something, nothing, nothing at all. No, I was uh, I was kind of a meathead in the labs. I also, you know, I played football. 
right up through college. And, uh, I, uh, I used to break a lot of stuff. Like I just didn't have the hands for the hands for delicate lab work. I don't think. <laughs> Did you get called for holding a lot or were you okay there? No, no, I played center. So you can, you can hide in the middle of the line. You can do all kinds of stuff. Excellent. So. <laughs> like it. It's the best place to be, right? Like if you're hitting the seven man sled, you decide to dog it. The sled doesn't go one way or the other. Uh, Listen, I, I played offensive line in college intramurals. It's it's not this in the school that was division three without a football team. There was actually in its charter not allowed to have a football team because it's from the Coca-Cola money and one of their kids got injured in football <laughs> or so the so the urban legend went, whether there's any truth to it or not, but it was the Woodruff family and the Chandlers from, from I went to Emory. So anyway, um so I Sure, I could hide in the sled of, but it was, you have to put your hands behind your back. Anyway, no one cares about my uh, sorrowful college football career. Um, so, all right. So you said you collaborated with, with a bunch of wrestlers, and it sounds like it just happened sort of by you being around, being present, and introducing yourself to them. But there's, I don't know, there seems like there would be, have to be some connective tissue between meeting someone and seeing them in a convention, and all of a sudden they're working with you. Um, I think, you know, having Lawler involved gave me some cachet with some people. And then like, you know, when I was younger, wrestling, wrestling was not cool. Even the Hulk Hogan era, like in school, if you were a fan of wrestling, it still wasn't cool. Like comics wasn't cool. So when you meet somebody that likes wrestling and comics, you're like instantly brothers. Mm -hmm. And like, I became friends. Like when I, I met Hurricane Helms at San Diego Comic-Con and like, we became friends. I met Rob Van Dam and like, we became friends. Um, Samoa Joe, Christopher Daniels, like it just, it was just easy enough because we had shared experiences. And I think a lot of times, you know, when you approach a wrestler uh, from their passion side and not necessarily as a fan, I think you, you get a lot farther with people. So I mean, a ton of people like comics, a ton of people like, uh, you know, they're all storytellers in nature. So that a lot of that sort of built in that way. Um, and, uh, and then from there, like, you know, I've been doing it long enough, you know, when I was setting up at wrestling shows, most of the guys now that are on top were on the indies when I started. Mm -hmm. It's like Kevin and Sammy and the Young Bucks and Ferg and all these guys or whatever, like, all know me because, I mean, they'd see me at shows and they'd see me at a lot of shows and respect the hustle. And, you know, they know I'm not just some, you know, some flake. And, uh. And you could you, know, you could afford your own hotel room then, and they couldn't. So you you oh you I didn't take, I never got a hotel. I would just no? okay. I work overnights my whole life. So I drive to the show, I'd set up, I do it, I drive home. Wow. Um, yeah, I mean I get hotels at conventions if it's like multiple days and stuff. I don't sleep in a van or anything, but <laughs> I mean if I'm just doing a one day thing, like I'll just drive in, drive out. When I do, uh, every time I make a book that Jerry's done the cover on, I have my books get printed in Nashville. I fly to Nashville and I rent a Sprinter van. I pick up a half a ton of comic books. I drive to Memphis and Jerry signs them. And then I drive 19 hours home in one shot to, uh, you made this happen. All your friends seated together, ready for the game. Vivid seats makes it easy to get great deals on great tickets while making you the MVP. Vivid seats, real rewards for real fans. Get tickets now. There's nothing worse than walking up to a venue only to find you've been scammed by a fake ticket. With Vivid Seats, you get great deals on tickets and a 100% buyer guarantee. Vivid Seats, real rewards for real fans. 
Get tickets now. To Clifton Park. So I, uh, I stop for gas, but I, I generally can make it in one shot. So it's a lot of Cracker Barrel. I have existed. I've existed without sleep for most of my life. Uh, never more so than the last five or six years. Okay. Well, I could not do that. That's uh, definitely a better man than than me. I I'm a indoor cat, and I need my eight and a half hours. That's that's for sure. Um, all right. So you forge the relationship with these people basically organically by by seeing them and and sort of growing with them and and continuing it. So they they've you know, you fostered these real relationships. So how did you bring concept to market? I mean, I heard the Kickstarter part, but I mean, was that enough money to like, how many issues could you print with, with the Kickstarter? How did you get, you know, how did you put them in people's hands that, that, that they bought them? I mean, it sounds cool. Jerry, the King Lawler is is doing covers and things like that, but still getting people to spend money is, well, that that's, that's a, that's the difference between catching the lightning and, and catching the lightning bug. So uh, how, how'd you do that? Our, our first Kickstarter hit for $27,000. Um, that was enough. I mean, that was content that was already made. That was just us, uh, you know, doing the, uh, collecting the single issues that we had done. I mean, so when I started, I mean, I worked a lot. I worked two jobs for almost a year to pay for the art and the printing on the first book. Um, some convention tables and like a small t-shirt order. Um, and then, uh, and then I just started and just started growing it like, you know, person by person. And, you know, I've been fortunate. A lot of people have helped me along the way. Um, you know, I had a printer that would warehouse my books for me and then send them places. Um, you know, I had, uh, you know, friends in different places that would put me up. I mean, I had a really good response to headlock from a lot of people, um, who just, liked wrestling and wanted a good wrestling comic. And they were like, yeah, somebody's finally doing it. So, you know, I've been very, very fortunate to uh, have a lot of people sort of, you know, rooting me on, helping me out. Um, And then, you know, once the content is made, I mean, you're set. I mean, just the making of the content is the expensive part. So I make enough money to pay my artists. Like I'm good. Like I can, you know, I can eat the printing cost because I'm going to make that back when I start selling the books. Um, And then every time we do a Kickstarter, you have more stuff. So like right now, if you back the Kickstarter for Tales of the Road Volume 3, you can get anything that we've done before. You can get, and then, you know, one of the other things I I do at shows to sort of offset, because obviously wrestling and comic fans are both extremely tribal. And I do non-branded things on both ends. So, so there are some people who are just not going to buy non-branded wrestling material and that's fine. So I do art prints. Um, you know, I work with a, a couple of different artists who do comic book inspired art prints. Um, and you know, I'll get wrestlers to sign them for me and whatnot. Like, I think we have the first, I think we have the first thing that all four members of judgment day ever signed. Um, we, you know, I have a, like right now, like on the Kickstarter, we have, What's that? Was Judgment Day. Oh, big fan. And, and in fairness, he's loved them from day one. I've I've been friends with Ferg yeah. for like eight years now, and uh, he's such a such a good dude. Um, he's actually do, doing a pull quote for this book for me. Uh, I just in in one of those random sort of weird life things. Like I also have a quote from Billy Zane, who oh. is a fan of my book. Oh, um, great. 
but uh, so we do the art prints. So like I have signed art prints through my campaign. I have signed art prints by Undertaker, Sting, Bret Hart, Jeff Hardy, whatever. And they're comic book inspired prints and stuff by some of the artists that I work with. And that helps us. Um, it helps us sort of deal with people who just are not going to buy what we have because it's not a WWE thing or an AEW thing. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. You know, it, it, it we make it work and that helps us. Uh, you know, it helps us get bigger spaces. It helps us bring a better experience to conventions for fans. Um, and that's another thing that sort of helped me out for a long time. Comic-Cons didn't allow wrestlers. Jerry and I were the first wrestling thing at probably 20 Comic-Cons. I have the only wrestling booth, the only dedicated wrestling booth at San Diego Comic-Con. For a long time, I had the only wrestling booth at New York Comic-Con. I'm the only wrestling vendor that's ever been at Emerald City Comic-Con. So you're the um, AJ Lee of the of the wrestling at Comic Con revolution, I guess. Yes. Okay. <laughs> um, they like yeah, comics, so, right? Don't the Brookses like comics? They do. Um, just, uh, I mean, I think they do their own thing. I, uh, I mean, I don't have any. I, I've met them both. I met Punk a bunch of times. He's always been cool to me. One of the cool things was when they did the bit where he won the belt and then quit or whatever. And uh, I think it was 2010. And then they had him crash the, the Mattel panel at Comic-Con. And then he came onto the show floor and he went to Jill Thompson's booth and he came to my booth and then he left because he had to go do Bill Simmons podcast. So like we're the only two places on the, on the show floor that he went to when he was probably at the hottest he ever was. And that was cool. Um, And that's one of the things that's also helped us grow is I try to provide a good experience, a good fan experience at Comic-Cons for wrestling fans. Because, I mean, it's different now, but for a long time, there wasn't anybody. And I used to get mad as a, as a fan. You go to a Comic-Con and be like, why is this not nerdy enough for you? Mm-hmm. I mean, hell, you know, two-dimensional men in colorful costumes in a battle of good and evil is nerdy, but apparently three-dimensional men are not. <laughs> like, you know, it was just weird. But people, you know, like I said, comics can be up its own ass. I mean... I did a show where somebody tried to bring Roddy Piper as a guest and the guy only knew him as, as the guy from they live and said, no. Um, So, you know, it's, it was a bubble for a long time before it sort of got swallowed up by these big uh, pop culture shows and stuff. It was just these guys that were running comic cons and like the holiday in ballroom on a Sunday, you know, twice a year. And now all of a sudden there's these big things, but they still weren't allowing it. Comics is a million times harder. Uh, I mean, I've had so many people in wrestling be so, so nice to me and so good to me, but like comics, the fans are never the problem. I mean, comics, like the, the comics industry right. still is okay. shitty to me 20 years later, what are 15 years later? I mean, um, I mean, there's a lot of people that I think just, you know, if you don't do it their way, then, you know, if you're not eating the same shit that they're eating, then maybe they're not happy about it or whatever. Or you wow. Just, I mean, it's fine. Like, you know, it's nerds everywhere, right? I mean, I'm, listen, I'm a nerd. I'm not throwing stones, but you know, nerds can nerds be nerd, nerds can be horrible to each other. You know what I mean? Because you've got the you've got you've carved out your little space, and now you're like, you know, trying to trying to block everybody else. And I mean, there's a ton of wrestling creators that like comic books, and I think some of them don't like the fact that I work with all the people that you know they're a bigger name than me, and I work with all the guys. And it's fine, you know, fan wise. I mean. I'd say it's it's about the same. I mean, the coolest thing, one of the things that I'm proudest of is that I'm a ton of people's first comic book. 
you know, when, and who can say that as a creator? Like if you, most people, when you bought your first comic book, I bought my first comic book because of Spider-Man. I didn't buy it because it was drawn by, you know, Ron Wilson. You know what I mean? I didn't know who Ron Wilson was when I was a kid. You know what I mean? But like people bought, a lot of people who bought Headlocked bought it. It was their first book. And, you know, now read comics regularly. And that to me, I think is cool because, you know, it's, uh, you're bringing people to the, you know, you're bringing people to the dance. Permission to be nerdy in a different way? By all means. All right. So in real life, I'm actually a lawyer. And I, I, I don't know if your guy warned you of that. He knows. But um, at some point, did you get, you know, big enough where you decided to create some sort of entity? Are you LLC? Not yet. All right. I just kind of do it myself through my, you know, my whatever, you know, DBA. Do you, uh, do you copyright your stuff? Do you, or you, you rely on the common law copyrights or, or I mean, right now that's what I've done. Um, mm-hmm. I, I know it's something I should do, but you know, obviously for me, time is my enemy always. I never have enough time to do the things that I want to do. I mean, I'm on the road 30 weekends a year. I work 70 hours a week. I write four titles. I have to wrangle artists, wrestlers, and I'm, I'm nobody's priority, right? Because nobody's making millions off of me. I'm not making millions. I'm not, you know, so I have to sort of be available when people are ready for me. Um, you know, I have to, you know, if somebody's under contract or somebody, if I'm doing a story with somebody and then they, they, you know, they want to sign with WWE, then maybe we don't finish that story. Right. You know, I actually had t- two people in this, you know, s- lined up for this, uh, this collection that, uh, you know, ended up with contract stuff and then I had to swap them out for two other people. And I've always got a ton of people that want to do stuff. So it's not a problem, but like, you know, when I had, I had talked to Bray Wyatt about doing some stuff and then, mm-hmm. you know, Vince, Vince gets ousted and everybody comes back. And I mean, I probably lost three or four collaborations out of that, that I had lined up. So I, I'm always moving. I have to be like, I have to be fluid. I have to be quick. I have to be adaptable. Like right now, like I'm dealing with the the social media thing that I wasn't really expecting. Um, so, you know, you just have to, you know, every time everything's a riddle and you have to solve it, you know, Do the you artists, you know, all my artists work at different places and stuff. So like, you know, I'm paying them, but obviously I'm not their primary source of income. So I get what they have and that's fine. You know what I mean? I'm comfortable with all of those things because that's how I have to exist right now. But that's, you know, I I bet you I haven't slept more than three consecutive hours since July. Um, do, you, do you use paper contracts with, with people? I mean, do you, you know, whether it's on the supply end or, or the demand end? Uh, not really. I mean, most of the, most of the oh, people, I try not to get into money with when it comes to people, the wrestlers, what I do a lot of times is, you know, I'll make um, a variant cover for them. And then I'll give them those covers that they can sell and, you know, mm-hmm. sell for a big premium. Yeah. So I don't have to get into cash payouts. Cause I don't, you know, I've been to enough signing shows and stuff. I don't ever want to be behind a curtain counting out greasy $5 bills and having somebody argue over percentages and shit. So I get all that stuff done ahead of time. Like this is, this is what I'm doing for you and you can do it or you cannot do it, mm-hmm. but I'm not gonna, you know, probably the greatest thing I've ever accomplished the most unbelievable thing is I got Ric Flair to appear for me four times Wow! and not, you know, not paying him a guarantee. And he came on his own, covered his own trance. Hmm. And I bet you that nobody's ever done that in the history of the world. 
But I tell <laughs> these guys, I'm like, listen, I'm, you know, you're coming to a sold out Comic Con. You're not selling tickets. I don't take money from them. I don't want money from them. I just want to jam creatively with people that I respect. You know, I'm not taking money from you. You're not selling tickets. If you can't make your money in a room with 125,000 people, that's not my problem. Well, so less nerdy, uh, legalese type of question. Yeah. Have you had any problems dealing with Kickstarter investors? Uh, yes, I had my first one. Somebody backed it for like $2,700 and I knew it was, I knew it was a mistake or something. And I knew it and they were, I, and I still to this day don't know what the end game is on it, but you mm. know, after the campaign passed, they did a chargeback on their card. Uh, um, and that, that whatever, but I, I, I knew it, you know what I mean? So it wasn't a big deal. And then on my last one, somebody did a chargeback after I had already sent the rewards and that was kind of shitty. Um, that's you know, or whatever, it's like 70 bucks, but I mean, at the end of the day, you know what I mean? Like the, the bitter far away or the sweet far away is the bitter. Right. 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 I mean, the, I guess it's a cost of not having to do a prospectus and all of that nonsense. Mm. Um, okay, I promise I was the last nerdy question on the legal side, and and it is. Um, that could be a whole different show if you ever want to, but it sounds like you, you know, since you haven't slept, I don't want to go into things that I'm probably the only person in the audience interested in. Uh, <laughs> so, all right, what was your favorite arc of books, comic books? Um, and and for me, it was absolutely Hellfire Club to Dark Phoenix. Um, my favorite comic books. Uh, of all time were uh, Concrete by Paul Chadwick. That's what made me want to write comics. Uh, Concrete, Think Like a Mountain, totally changed my entire viewpoint about how comics could be. Um, I love 100 Bullets um, by Brian Azzarello. Um, I, uh, I'm trying to think of what else. Uh, Preacher was a real kind of eye-opener in terms of, you know, when you go from the superhero books and my journey through wrestling and my journey through comics was very similar where you fall in love with the mainstream stuff and then you kind of get burnt out where you're like, Oh Jesus, another crossover, another whatever. And then you sort of discover, you know, the independence and stuff. And then that totally blows your mind, you know, and like Samoa Joe and CM Punk did that for me as a, as, as a wrestling fan, you know, when the mid two thousands, when WWE was so stale and then I was like, Oh, look at this. This is amazing. And, you know, it totally reinvigorates your fandom and, um, you know, Concrete did that for me. Um, Preacher, Transmetropolitan. Um, you know, I, I, I don't know. I love it all. So, I know Preacher only from the TV show. I can tell you, it was the greatest opening five minutes of a TV show that I've ever seen. So. Preacher is funny because Preacher they they got everything right but the story. Like they nailed the music, the aesthetic, the vibe. Like all of it was there. But the story isn't anything like it is in the comic books. And I mean, I think for the reason, like The Boys is very different than the the show. And it's the same writer because he's very off color in a lot of ways. But it just wasn't a thing that I ever saw in comics before. Like just somebody doing, you know, a grindhouse type story in comics. Yeah, so Watchmen was sort of the, the, the first for me, I think. Mm, yeah, I could understand that. Yeah, but but I've always sort of been a mainstream person. Like I, I didn't even know that there was indies wrestling until the nineties. And for context, that was my mid to late twenties. So it, it, you know, it, it, it's it's. What's the perfect drink? Start with ice. Pour in fifty mils of smooth Smirnoff vodka. 
top up with lemonade to really make it fizz. And garnish with some cheeky raspberries and a squeeze of fresh lime. Just don't forget to share. Smirnoff Lemonade Spritz. Taste the fizz. Tap for more. Get the facts. Be drink aware. Visit drinkaware.co.uk. A lot of people here in the 90s, oh, you fossil, but that was sort of, that's middle age for a wrestling fan. Sure. Um, yeah. Of course, I grew up in, in New York, different part than you, and my local indie basically was WWF. I mean, that, that, right. that's who came to the Nassau Coliseum. I mean, I, yeah. I, I didn't know anything else. I never, I mean, I didn't see an indie show until I went to a Ring of Honor show. It was the first, like, non WWF, WCW show I'd ever gone to. Um, and, uh, but I, at that point, I had, I had ordered the DVDs and stuff and was familiar with the product. But I think as an art form, like wrestling should be live. I think it's like jazz music, right? Like I love jazz music, but I don't own any jazz recorded jazz stuff because like it steals, it steals the soul of what it is. You know, I mean, recorded jazz music is elevator music, but I mean, going to a jazz bar and listening to, listening to guys jam is like my favorite type of music. <laughs> and wrestling is the same way. Like, you know, it's so much more immersive live in a smaller venue, like, very few matches that have ever been held in a stadium should have been held in a stadium. You know, Hogan and Rock obviously is a stadium match. You know, they do some of them, but I mean, to me, most of them, you know, you put them in like a 5,000 seat arena, you know, you get people packed in there and then you can, you know, you hear the smack and, you know, you, you just, it's just so much more of an immersive experience. I've gone to wrestling shows with non wrestling fans and they don't want to watch it on TV or anything like that, but I, I don't mm -hmm. think. I don't think anyone's ever not had a good time at a show, although there have sometimes been complaints about the hygiene. Is that what you say? Yeah, uh, <laughs> I can understand. I can understand that for sure. The, the aesthetic, yes, I'm sure you can. Um, but they always have fun at the show. But it, it doesn't translate into them wanting to watch it on TV. But 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 I've never been the type that needs you know everyone to be into my thing. Um, mm -hmm. Oh, they'd be great. Anyway, um, I I mean. We're closing an hour, so I want to make sure that we give enough time for you to talk about what you're doing, how people can support you, how they can get on the Kickstarter, all the titles to, to the books, where they can go to find them, you know, all of that good stuff. So what we're kickstarting right now is Tales from the Road, Volume 3, and there are eight stories in the book. Um, they're collaborations with Adam Cole, Jay White, uh, Trinity Fatu, Powerhouse Hobbs, Andrade, Lita. Wait, is it really the Book of Hobbs? No, it's not the Book of Hobbs. Oh, okay. <laughs> the uh, the inspiration and uh, Fandango, and uh, they are, I think, of our, our three volumes. I think this is the cover to cover the the best, the most entertaining collection of stories that we've done. Um, and I also think it's probably the at the moment like sort of biggest star power type thing we've done, where I've got four guys that are regulars on AEW television. Adam Cole just main event at Wembley Stadium. Trinity is the biggest star in Impact right now. Uh, Lita was just at WrestleMania and the tag champion this year, this calendar year, Hall of Famer. Um, so it's a, it's a great lineup. Um, and I think the stories are all very different and they're all very entertaining. Um, the story we did with Jay White is essentially, what if Willy Wonka was a wrestling school and not a chocolate factory? Um, <laughs> You know, we did a video game type story with Adam Cole. Um, the inspiration story is uh, is the longest one in the collection, and is also uh, it means a lot to me because they uh, it was the first thing that they agreed to do when they left WWE. 
before they agreed to sign a contract with anybody. Like they had a period of time where they were waiting on their visas to clear. And they went through all these offers that they had, you know, to do podcasts and wrestling and whatever independent shows and appearances. And the first thing they agreed upon doing was the story with me. Um, you know, they had a podcast where they had talked about their uh, dysmorphia and eating disorders that they had and what it was like to sort of be a, you know, a female, a public in a public life and, you know, the internet and whatnot. And we sort of spun that into a nightmare and Elm street esque type story. Um, that sort of deals with some of that stuff. And uh, it was really cool. They said it's their favorite thing that they've ever done outside of WWE. Um, and uh, so that was, that was really cool. Um, the Fandango story is a zombie story called night of the brothering. That is uh, super, super fun. Um, so, you know, it's a, it's a neat, it's a neat collection. I think it's fun to see creators sort of do something sort of off the beaten path, you know, um, something that you're not necessarily th- that you don't know them for, but you respect them as creators. Um, so it's uh, it's a good time. Uh, we have five covers for it. We have the main cover, and then we have four variants. And the variants are only available through Kickstarter. Um, there's an Adam Cole sort of video game of Thrones, where the throne is made out of video game weapons. Uh, there's a Hobbs cover that's very uh, much inspired by uh, an Andy Kubert thing cover. Uh, there's a Chicago-inspired Trinity cover and uh, just a just a cool Jay White cover, and those are only available through the Kickstarter. You know, we done we did one for Danhausen for Volume Two when he broke his leg to raise money for him before he was under contract. Very nice. And, very uh, those are very hard to find. Like you know, when they pop up on eBay, you might see them go for like a hundred bucks. So like these things are super super collectible. Obviously, if there's only 300 of something and, you know, you're an Adam Cole fan, I mean, he's obviously got a lot more than 300 fans. So um, if you're a collector, there's a, you know, there's definitely a a reason to jump on. If you like fun stories, there's a reason to jump on. Um, You know, there's, it's just a, you know, it's customizable at every level. Like I said, you can just get the book. You can get a digital copy of the book for $15. You can get a digital copy of an older book for $10. And then, I mean, I've got somebody right now that's backing it for over a thousand who's getting everything that we have. Um, so, you know, it's customizable to every level of your sort of financial and, you know, personal experience. That's what I was going to ask. For someone who doesn't know anything about Kickstarter, I mean, first of all, how do you get on Kickstarter and find Headlocked? I mean, I imagine you just Google Kickstarter Headlocked and it gets you there. But what are, what, what's like, the minimum, I imagine there is no maximum except that it doesn't pass your smell test. But, you know, could like, a, you know, a regular Joe, like do five bucks or something. Mm-hmm. 100%. For $5, we send you a digital short story. One of our Tales from the Road stories digitally, you can do a dollar. I mean, and honestly, like it all helps. I mean, the backer number helps. It helps with the algorithm when people back it. You know what I mean? Like if you have a hundred people backing it for a dollar is better than one person backing it for a hundred dollars, you know, in the eyes of the Kickstarter algorithm. Um, so it's, you know, we just, I mean, we just like the, you know, we just like the love, man. I just like for people to see what we're doing and you know what I mean? If you can't get all the way in now, you can get in a little bit, whatever, but do you have other just, what's that? Do you have other merch like hoodies, hats, t-shirts? Um, we've done, we have a pro wrestling tea store. We've got some, uh, some, some shirts that we've done, um, up there. Um, we usually have a shirt, um, 
a shirt for each Kickstarter. We don't have one for this one. I was, I was trying to turn this book and get it done in time for New York Comic Con. Um, and it just, uh, the, the difficulties I had with the campaign sort of required much more time than I expected. And then, you know, I, uh, this is usually my slow season in, at the, you know, in trucking and it's been crazy. The, just a series of difficulties. So, um, everything kind of fell uh, off a little bit. So I don't think I'm going to have the book done for New York Comic Con. Um, which I wish if I had known that I would have run a longer campaign, but whatever, I digress. Um, You're so yeah, I, it's, uh, it's all a very tricky little science, I guess. <laughs> no, I guess they didn't teach you that in the uh, microbiology or biochemistry or uh, <laughs> whatever it was. So if, if you made yourself the, the right the biochemistry brain formula, maybe uh, you, you would have come out with it. Just, I, uh, I think that's uh, right now that's, uh, you know, uh, I'm not letting monster. this go. I'm not letting this whole biochemistry. A white, a white monster with a with an airborne dropped into it. That's my uh, that's my health plan right now. <laughs> okay, yeah, that, that sounds pretty awesome. Well, I mean, it's it, it's headlockedcomic.com. It's one word headlockcomic. If you go on the internets, but if you just type in Michael Kingston or Mike Kingston comics, you'll get it. You'll get a ton of images. There's plenty of sites. You've done. You've been. I mean, I saw you were on. Uh, was he a cultaholic or what culture? Maybe both. You, you're, there's a Sports Illustrated article about you. There's all, all sorts of stuff. I'm pretty sure I'm the only comic book that's ever been tweeted out by the main Sports Illustrated account. Um, we had a good story done in Forbes about us. Um, when, cult, when Corey Graves was doing that travel show, that Culture Shock show, we were on that. Um, I, I co-wrote some some WWE comics with AJ Styles and Samoa Joe. So we got covered on the WWE website a couple of times. Um, I've been, I've been able to, you know, like I said, for a guy that makes comics out of his bedroom, uh, I've been able to operate on a scale that I have no business operating on. Um, but I'm stupid and insane. So, you know, you just keep doing it. And, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's been the, the greatest sort of joy of my life. It's been so much fun. I've got to do, and you love it. I've got to do so much cool shit. I watched WrestleMania with Steve Austin. Uh, Ric Flair bought me a $150 shot on my birthday. Um, of? Just uh, <laughs> Louis the 14th. Louis, yeah, Louis uh, 15th. Or the 15th, whatever it is. I'm not not a, an enormous drinker, but I mean, oh, I can drink. <laughs> but, but, but when you do, you drink righteously. You drink literally. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, I mean, I've, uh, you know, I was just in Utah this past weekend with Scott Steiner and we were at a show together and, you know, I was sitting in the green room with with Scott and Christopher does Lloyd, do, and does he do your bookkeeping, Scott Steiner? Yes, yes, okay, he does. Um, and uh, you know, we were sitting at a table with uh, Tom Welling and uh, uh, Christopher Lloyd, and just you know, eating the catering and stuff. I mean, I had a forty five minute conversation with Carrie Elways about Andre the Giant. Like, I've got to do so much cool stuff. Like, if it ended all tomorrow, like. I mean, every, I mean, this is blown away every expectation I've ever had. I just want to, you know, and like I said, I'm, I don't, I'm the last guy to take money out of this thing. Like I don't make really make money doing it so much. You know, I just try to pay my artists. If I make a bunch of money, I'm just going to make more books. So I making comics is the thing that sort of, you know, fuels my engine and it's been so much fun um, to do it the way that we've done it. I mean, it's hard, but 
I mean, I, I it's not the life for everybody, but it's a hundred percent the life for me. So, well, it's infectious. I, I can I can feel it off you. I think that I think that's really cool. Um, uh, you know, for someone who probably is rather passionless when it comes to things, I I, I really appreciate when other people have it, pursue it, and you know, it, it's it's become your life, and you and you've managed to make it successful enough that you know, with your other things that I guess pay your bills, you can still do this. But you know. Hopefully, I'm pulling for you. I, I hope that through doing shows like this and other shows, and and through uh, your you know your partner's uh, boost in your signal, that the this this can be the only thing you do. Unless you think that that doing the regular job, you need that to ground you to you know fuel your your uh, creativity. I mean, it does help when you know. I was at you know there was there was one year specifically the contrast was insane, but I was at a Hollywood party at on the roof of the Petco Park with. Paul Heyman and Samoa Joe and Stacey Keebler and Maria Canellis and Christopher Daniels and Hurricane. And, you know, like I was the least famous guy there. There was, you know, the cast of True Blood and these, you know, models and whatever. And I'm just this dude. And, you know, you're, you're kind of like living the life, you know, and then I go home two days later and, you know, I've got a, a dude with four teeth telling me to go fuck myself. So, you know, <laughs> it keeps you, it keeps you grounded. Um, and it also, it gives me security. It gives me security to take financial risks. I have more fun at shows because I, you know, if I do have a bad show, I don't have to worry about my lights get turned off, you know? So it gives me security to take risks. It gives me security to maybe, uh, you know, shoot a bigger shot, um, you know, and it allows me to have more fun. I can go to bigger shows and all that. So, you know, obviously when COVID hit, I mean, I would have been devastated. A lot of artists were devastated, you know, but I, you know, the truck still ran, you know, I, I manage a fleet of drivers for Target. Target stayed open. So, mm-hmm. you know, I had a steady income and I was able to keep doing my stuff. So, you know, I would love to be able to just create and I, God willing, I hope I get there someday. But I mean, I do like having the security of knowing that my mortgage is going to be paid no matter what. All right. Well, excellent. That was terrific. And uh, I, I assume that, you know, when you're the least famous person, do you ever feel like saying I'm Eddie Kingston or not? It's it's interesting being the, uh, no, I tried Kofi a few times, but nobody was buying it. <laughs> I, uh, it's, it's always great to be the, I always say, I joke that I'm the third most popular Kingston in wrestling. So there you go. That's all right. No, there's, a, there's nothing wrong with placing or showing. It's all, right. <laughs> all right. It's It's been a pleasure talking to you. Uh, much success. Uh, I don't know if you want to, you know, plug the site or the, or the uh, website again, or the Kickstarter or whatever. But, yeah, I mean, uh, everything's Headlock Comic. It's one word. It's all me. So, uh, you know, I'm on Facebook. I'm on Facebook as Headlock Comic. I'm on Facebook as Michael Kingston. I mean, you can find me in my big dumb face. Like, I don't turn people down from, you know, joining the site. If you got questions or whatever about what we do or anything I can help people with, I, uh, you know, I, uh, I do what I can. So. All right. Excellent. All right. Well, much success to you. Thanks for uh, spending some time with us here on the uh, Hammerlock Hangover in association with the Wrestling Suit Network. Uh, we didn't really get too much in the Garden of the Doom. Maybe if we got into, you know, if your inspiration for comics started from mythology or whatever. But, you know, who knows? Maybe another time. Um, I, I wish you nothing but the best, and thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Really Thank you, Michael. It. Follow Mike at facebook.com slash headlockedcomic. And check out his website at headlockedcomic.com for more information on how you can pick up some issues, see his gallery and stories, and support Headlocked Comic.